0: You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, and I'm Nate McLennan. So given that we are a year into easy access to AI with the launch of ChatGBT and a bunch of others, I thought we would sit down and have a conversation with a few leaders at one of my favorite orgs, ASU Prep, who are thinking deeply about AI and STEM and teaching and learning. And honestly, I feel that we're on the precipice of something really big that could accelerate learning for a lot of students. But at the same time, I have this fear about the loss of community in the process, the ethical challenges that come along with it, deep fakes and all the other things that people have been talking about, about the dangers of AI. So we collectively as an education community, we believe deeply in personalization and we're gonna hear more about that today and the use of AI for that. But we also can't forget the powerful impacts of humans working collectively together to solve challenges, often across differences. And so AI can support this as well, but it also can destroy it. I'm excited today to talk with Rachana Mather and who's a senior STEM strategist and a CEO and founder of the STEMology Club. We'll put all the links in the show notes in the end if you wanna look into these things more. And Meg Grothman, Director of Arizona Impact and Mathematics Innovation at ASU Prep. So we've worked with ASU Prep and ASU over the years and they continue to live up to the reputation as innovative organizations who really think about being inclusive rather than en- exclusive and in terms of who they s- serve. So they're organizations that I have heard over and over again say yes to amazing ideas that will help all students succeed. So welcome, Rachna and Meg. Super excited to have you here today.
1: Thank you, thank you. I, I appreciate you inviting us. Um, I'm excited to be here. I love having this conversation. I will have this over dinner when it comes to AI with my kids. I'm pretty sure everyone's sick of me.
0: <laughs> yes, a lot a lot happening. So, so let's jump in. So Meg, maybe... Uh, you start, and then Rachna you follow up. So most influential teacher, number one, and the most recent task you completed with the help of a generative AI tool.
2: Sure. Uh, my most influential teacher was a middle school language arts teacher who made learning so much fun. I still remember the SAT prep words she gave us. Um, we earned little wintergreen mints. And I cannot eat one of those without... Um, thinking about her. And so she just absolutely made us love coming to her class every day.
0: That's what we call sticky learning, right? When you, you eat a mint and you're reminded of your middle school teacher. <laughs> <That's> Literally.
2: <amazing.
0: laughs> <laughs> um, Raj, let's talk about your um, most memorable teacher and then we'll jump back and, and talk about AI tools.
1: Yeah, I thought about this and that's a very tough question. I've lived in so many parts of the world too. I would say my number one are my parents, but um, if I pick a teacher from how we've learned traditionally. um, Even though my background's in engineering, all the teachers I always remembered were in art and music. And um, some of the most influential were Mr. and Mrs. Seals, who taught me music and clarinet from second to eighth grade, because they believed in me. And um, they let me join when I was late in joining. I think that's the thing that what stuck with me was them believing in me. And the fact that they didn't um, ha- make me stay within the system. So I missed the deadlines. I didn't have the money. They figured out ways that I could afford the clarinet and still be part of the classroom and learn to play. And I think that affected sort of um, everything I do in a very um, integral. I-, I look at art and STEM kind of together collectively, and that's sort of set my mindset. So yeah, they're two of the people that I always remember.
0: I am also a, I was a clarinet player. I haven't played clarinet in a long, long time, Uh, but I appreciate that intersection of the arts and the STEM worlds. I think too often, I mean, of course, sometimes we put that together in the STEAM acronym, uh, but so much of uh, science and math involves creativity and thinking about actively thinking about problem solving and things like that. So, okay, Rachna, back to you. Um, What was the most recent thing, uh, task you completed with the help of a generative AI tool?
1: So I play with a lot of tools every single day as a part of just exploration, but when it comes to, I I, maybe because of just the world and life I'm in at the moment, which involves being a student, worker, parent, I end up gravitating towards the productivity tools. So I do spend a lot of time with like the creative art tools, but I gravitate towards productivity tools, which I think my... Biggest ones are always like the AI note taker that's on Zoom and I try different ones. And then the favorite chat GPT is always a great thought partner and I'm always working on improving how I'm prompting it and how I'm interacting and going back and forth as a thought partner versus like an answer engine. So that's probably my go-to. And I know Meg, oh my gosh, Meg's a guru in the way she can thought partner with <laughs> chat GPT, And that's like, I always like appreciate that. So yeah.
2: Yeah. Nate, I used it this week to uh, organize a set of slides for a presentation that I'm doing on Thursday. So it's I've of course procrastinated and instead of staring at a blank slide deck, I now have at least different themes and units for me to go through. So again, it didn't make the slides. Well, it will make the slides for you if you wanted to. That isn't the part that um, I really needed help with. It's just getting started and then at home, I look in the fridge and say, I have pork, green onions, soy sauce. What can I make? It- oh, I love that.
0: I love it. It's like, it's like chat GPT chef. I'm definitely trying that as well. Yeah. There's I, an
2: app for that, I'm sure. Oh,
0: oh, I'm sure it's in the marketplace already. Yeah, I think my most recent was, uh, we work a lot with, with competencies and creating progressions for those competencies in K-12, um, Ed. And, uh, I asked, Uh, given a set of competencies, create a progression over five levels from kindergarten to 12th grade and with the language for each. And it did a really good job. uh, And I I had to refine the prompt a little bit, but it saved a ton of time in creating some foundational work for then humans to go noodle work, create something that's usable for their community. So appreciate that. So Meg, maybe I'd love for our audience to know a little bit about both of you. So ASU and ASU Prep are complicated organizations. What I can tell our audience is that ASU Prep is a public charter school that's authorized by ASU, a large innovative global university. Meg, how do you, what is your role and how do you sit within that matrix?
2: Sure, absolutely. So I'm actually in my 10th year at ASU Prep Academy. I started as a high school math teacher at our downtown prep campus. Now my role has developed into a very unique situation where I support mathematics innovation. What that means is product development, it's instructional strategies, it's programmatic support for not just our prep campuses, but schools around the state of Arizona. And that's where my Arizona impact work comes into play, where I get to leverage assets and programs from the university as well as prep to impact student learning and outcomes across the state. And so I bring resources to different school districts and we partner with them. Um, And on on the flip side of that coin, i learn what's going on in these amazing schools that we have around our state and uh, share those things and increase networking opportunities.
0: Got it. And so are they using the ASU prep digital math curriculum? Or is that, I mean, is that the the how you're sharing or is there a number of tools that you're supporting? There's
2: a number district? of tools. So it could be curriculum. Um, my impact work uh, expands further than math. It's all of our subjects, all of our grades. Um, so it could be curriculum resources. It could be digital teachers. It could be professional development for teachers, university programs, um, university courses. It could be um, oh, we're setting up an innovation lab. How can we incorporate fifth grade science? Okay, let's put our heads together and figure out what to do. So I truly have a dream job of being able to say yes to as many things as I can.
0: Yeah, awesome, awesome. Okay, Rachna, same question to you and also um, talk to us a little bit about the STEMology Club because I'm super intrigued, jumped on that website and there's a lot going on there. So you talk about both ASU and STEMology.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm really excited to have joined uh, ASU prep in this last one year. And I come from maybe a, a non-traditional path. I don't come through and through from education. I uh, started out the first half of my career at Intel over a decade um, where I worked in the semiconductor industry, software development, coding, and that kind of thing. Sun Devil all the way, because I've done both of my degrees from Fulton. But um, over time, and as I sort of discovered, perhaps having children, perhaps this is just um, the community educator in me. I'll always say community educator, one a little bit outside of the system. I started Stemology Club, out of a need at my kid's school who's in, um, she was at that time in second grade. She's in seventh now where they just didn't have a lot of um, STEM clubs. And I had a knack for taking complex information um, and boiling it down to something that little ones could understand. So that was my superpower. And I started STEMology Club sort of in the need as a parent, teaching kids after school, usually focused on robotics, AI, and um, coding. Those are my expertise areas. And then, um, you know, I, I was, as I was sort of going along going, hmm, but what next? You know, I love that But um, I think I also, like Meg, found a dream job in this last one year. I met Betsy uh, through, through ASU, who is our head of schools. And I think it takes also the ability of someone like her to recognize where people can fit. Because I can tell you in a normal day, if I were to try to join a school or do something with any kind of schooling system with my background, it wasn't very obvious where I fit. You know, I have STEM background expertise in that, but Betsy could see it. So she, um, you know, she knew that I had this dream of looking at more holistically the STEM world in in a schooling unit and she invited me last year to explore what stem strategy would look like at ASU prep. Now, ASU prep of course has such a deep rooted um, stem kind of a mindset already. And now we were looking at sort of the next level bringing in what a semiconductor education look like, what does emerging technology look like, what does um, you know computer science and that kind of expansion look like across all of our campuses. So, that's how I I went from Stemology Club, and um, I still continue with with Stemology Club, but um, that my full-time space and mindset is in ASU Prep and sort of growing its STEM presence in um, Arizona and beyond.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you both for sharing. So let's dive in a little bit. So Meg, I'm also a former math teacher, and so I'm pretty excited about the use of AI coaches in math, given sort of the, the variability in any given classroom and how we can help every kid succeed. So Um, I I may not phrase this question exactly right. So answer it the best way possible. But how do you how are you all thinking about the use of AI? I think it's for delivering the max curriculum. So maybe explain a little bit about what that is. And most importantly, for our listeners, what are you learning on this journey um, around using AI as a a tool to help uh, accelerate students in math?
2: Sure. So at ASU, we have the MAX Accelerator. MAX stands for math and computer science. And so we're looking at eighth grade math, the pre-algebra level through Calc 3 computer science and statistics. Um, The tool itself is called Digit, where we really are striving to be the Google Maps of learning math, meaning we're assessing line by line student input so we can redirect them within the problem solving steps to their final destination. So instead of making a wrong turn and your Google Maps saying, you made a wrong turn, why don't you go back home and try again? We're actually to provide, we're actually able to provide in-the-moment support to students um, with these hints and feedback. Now, how we're incorporating AI now is that AI will be generating the hints and feedback. Instead, we were writing them by hand, and it took a very long time. And we don't need to do that anymore. But what we need to be very careful about with the incorporation of AI is not just being an answer generator. And so that's how we think about the tool of Digit, is to think of ourselves as the tool, Digit, as the guide. And again, it's not just giving you the answer. It's not just... Um, getting you to the end game its actually helping you along the way. And we see a lot of tools out there in the market for math. We There's hundreds probably. I was going to say dozens, but I'm sure it's hundreds. And if it's not, it will be tomorrow, um, of tools that are going to help you tutor you in math. Um, but what we really are designing with Digit is a side-by-side classroom aid with the teacher. So um, the teacher cannot assess Exactly where a student went wrong with 30 kids in one 45-minute period. There's just not enough time in the day, and so what AI is going to be able to do within Digit is to help the teacher understand what those gaps are, so that they can better support students. So again, we we call it a tutor. It's a it's a side by side supplemental tool, but really we still are relying on the teacher. The teacher is the one that's making the decisions about what students need next. They're using the information that the tools given them but then the teacher is the one that's going to provide that support
0: and so does the so does digit it's obviously prompting students in some capacity to answer questions and then is it actually is there a teacher interface as well that says that it's reporting out and saying hey nate is struggling in this particular area of single digit multiplication focus on these is that the interact is there is that's the interaction
2: That's absolutely it. So in the teacher dashboard, the teacher is able to see not only the students who weren't able to solve linear equations with integer solutions, right? We don't just see a a box of yes and no's. We see students who didn't get this question right because they made distributive property errors or combining like terms errors or... Integer operation errors, there's a number of things that can go wrong. Instead of a teacher guessing, I think this is what the problem is here, we actually know exactly what it is. The other piece is building on student foundation of knowledge. You know, We learn in in little bite-sized pieces, things come together for us, so it really allows students to stay on that trajectory of grade-level mastery and fill those gaps as they go. So one little thing isn't gonna hold you back forever, we don't have to swirl around in prerequisite knowledge for an entire quarter. Um, let's keep going. Keep providing that scaffolding. Um, there's an outer loop of support that also pops up with, you know, are you still struggling? Let's watch this video. Um, but again, that's all information that the teacher is getting on the back end.
1: Yeah, I was really excited just because, um, Meg, you know, I think about my own kid and just her learning process and how um, I'm really excited to see how digit and other, you know, AI and mathematics specifically, how it forms and I'll lead into the sort of the STEM side too, but like it's, it's fundamental to STEM learning is this core kind of knowledge in mathematics. I don't know that tomorrow everyone's going to have to do calculus, but they will have to know how it works perhaps, you know, maybe that's the shift is there's a device doing it for you. But I think about like with these tools, how often there is perhaps just this fear of judgment, you know, here, these tools are not judging you. If you have to step back into understanding your fractions, it can help guide you through that process. So there's just so much, um, I think there's so much excitement because a lot of the times in, at least in the engineering fields, and I recollect this from my own time in engineering, a lot of the reasons people were dropping out was mathematics, which was fundamental to coding as well. And then they were just gone in that first year, even though they were meant for engineering, they were just creative types who, that field needed but they left over these two kinds of things. So yeah, anyways.
0: (laughs) Right. There's some, there, there's some absurdly large number of uh, adults who say they are quote, not good at math. Right. We all, and we've all encountered those as STEM and math folks. It's like you talk to someone and say, Oh, you're a math person or STEM person. They say, Oh, I'm not good at that. But I think the reality is, is that we're missing a lot of folks who it's not about not being good. It's about the instruction they received context. They received it in, uh, and so I'm real optimistic about AI tools like Digit that able, are able to help every student succeed and feel like they can jump into a STEM field or at least feel that they are capable in mathematics in general. So Rachna talk a little bit about STEM broadly at, at um, ASU prep and where you're starting to see AI percolate into the system. Um
1: Yeah, I feel like this is like probably the daily for Meg and I, um, ranging from as we have discussions on campus um, to presenting about it, talking about it. But when it comes to ASU prep and sort of where that intersection is, um, there's this the way we're, at least the the way I've coined it or I'm thinking about it is sort of these six P's of AI model. This is not a real model or a framework. This is just how I'm. Saying it. But the six P's of AI, meaning professional development and how we support our teachers in both the learning of AI and the usage of AI policies that affect policies and ethics. That's where the ethics parts come sort of intersect. It it, it sort of is overarching in all the conversations, but policies as they affect academic integrity, the usage of the other. P that it connects to is data privacy, so privacy of our information and the knowledge required around it. Um, then the pedagogy—that's that's one that I feel like we talk, we we think we're we're it's it's iterative as we are um, designing our ways of teaching as things are evolving, and it, it truly feels like every day. I shift how I think about my learning and teaching with AI. So the pedagogy and then um, our products, which Meg has talked about, like where we are looking at our own in-house products with um, Max or Digit now. And then there are a suite of products at the ASU level too. So one of the things that I think is really interesting is let's say us or students or prep, or maybe, I don't know, even a teacher will have the ability to create their own tools. But to do so safely, ASU has created what they call the um, AI beta land or something like that, where eventually we'll have this opportunity to safely work with um, this data and without affecting privacy. And like the final one is um, our partnerships. Those are also very critical in thinking about um, partnerships with nonprofits like AIEDU, So in the next two weeks, I'm going to four or five of our classrooms in person, amazingly, because usually I'm on Zoom, but I'm going to go in person, drive on over and have a discussion on ethics and academic integrity, but not in the like, this is how it should be, but a discussion with students and some scenarios to like really think through, because I don't think I have a full answer. It has to be in partnership with the students and teachers. So that's an example.
0: So that this has me thinking a bit because we're working with some schools around some of these P's around PD and policy and pedagogy. And do you have a sense or do you have a prediction that there is almost every high schooler is thinking about how to use this as a tool right now, regardless of what their schools are doing? Or are we still in this? bottom 5% of only a few very industrious high schoolers are jumping on a chat GPT and trying to um, get an early start either ethically or not ethically on their assignments. And I've seen surveys going both directions. So I'm asking this more as an opinion of, I mean, what are you seeing out in the field? Um, maybe Raj and I start us off with like, what are you, what, what's your perception? And Meg, are you hearing anything from your teachers and partners about like, hey, this kid's using it, and our school has no idea what to do. <laughs> so, brought first. yeah.
1: I can definitely give you, like, these really, um, you know, um, perceptions from actually being in the classroom and then working with so many teachers and then just being parts of communities of practice. But if I looked at, you know, I think last year when I walked into one of the classrooms to talk about ChatGPT or whatever it was, Ethics, I think I went in with the mentality thinking, oh yeah, every kid's going to be using it, everyone's using ChatGPT and these were high schoolers. So, when I the first thing when I asked that show of hands, it was like two kids out of 20 that were actually using it. But, you know, I think that's changing so fast. Now, I don't know if they weren't admitting it because their teacher was standing in the classroom or if they just were sleepy because it was after lunch <laughs> or or if they genuinely weren't, you know, If they were treating it like a search engine, which I think is like a gross underutilization of it, you know, an AI, generative AI is treating it like a search engine, which is it's far more complex than that, that that's sometimes how it's being treated. So I feel like my perception is that it's not I don't know if I could put a percentage on it, but it is that it we have a few that are curious and very interested that are jumping on it, but many who are just not, who are tentative, not really sure. Um, there, there are a lot of concerns around, is this going to be considered cheating? Some that do cheat with it. Some that are just like so afraid that it will be considered because the policies aren't clear that they shy away from its usage. So, um, that's kind of what I've seen from a student perspective. And I'd turn it over to Meg to see what, you know, she's thought from a teacher.
0: Yeah. Meg, thoughts from, from across Arizona and in your interactions? What are you hearing?
2: I hear a, a very wide range, just like you, Nate. I've got some schools that say our students have no idea, they're not using it. And I have some that are saying it's running rampant. And I was going to give a ballpark range of more than 5%, less than 50%. But if you want to know what ChatGPT says, it's 67% of the students surveyed. No idea what survey that is.
0: And we, you know, I think as adults, especially educators and parents, I have two high school, well, one high schooler and one college student. And I feel like I'm always underestimating the use of various tools, and they may be underreporting the use of various tools. So I'm sort of curious about that. But Meg, let's think about so you've talked a little bit about math in the ecosystem that you work within. Um, Are are you thinking about digits beyond the math world, or is it really designed? I mean, obviously, the name itself is inferring something about math. But what are there? Are there other things in the works about how to use AI beyond uh, math?
2: One hundred and ten percent. I can't say this enough. We have a high school product suite. ASU Prep Digital does, and uh, it, it's it's fairly new. And we've really thought through how to create something that teachers can actually use and be in charge of, and you know, pull different resources and have a repository repository of support. When we look at embedding AI in something like that, which we are, is how can this tool, how can AI be a support to teachers within that ecosystem? Um, Can it tell us what standards you've already addressed? Can you ask it questions? Our product team is already sending queries in our own um, Vertex AI garden Um, With our own protected student data because I know the student privacy thing we're not sending student data into the world. Uh, We have a very protected uh, place, but we can already query it for information that would be really helpful to administrators and teachers to understand what do students need more of what's going really well. Um, what can I do next? And then here's the set of tools that's going to support you in that, right? And so takes away some of that digging that teachers have to do. So on the support side, of course, um, but we think about in general, math just being the first place. We know a language model is going to be good at talking to kids about things. It hasn't been so good at math. Um, We've cracked that code by uh, validating against some different engines um, to make sure that the language model can do math. It's actually not doing math, but it's getting verified by a math engine. Um, And so, yeah, math is, we kind of started there because we actually anticipated it being one of the more complicated subjects, but we, we absolutely are moving into other subjects as well.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Fascinating. It feels like it's going to be, I, I, in some ways, I, I wonder if five years from now, we'll be looking back at this and it'll just be just like, for example, Netflix is using AI all the time or Amazon Prime or whatever the case may be. It'll just be something that sits in the background, Um, And the students will just have a learning experience and the teachers will have some, their own learning experiences. And it'll just be part of that tool set. And we won't maybe even talk about the word AI, but Rachna, you've talked about ethics before, so this kind of broaches a little bit into that topic. Of, I guess we've talked about the excitement part of this. Um, there's a lot of people that are fearful. Well, what are the biggest things we need to be thinking about? And you ha- you hit on, you know, your six Ps, and one of them, that second one around policies and ethics, and some. what are you worried about, if anything?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think it. You know, when I think about AI being introduced in the education system, it's like excitement with a, a cautious edge. So, I mean, I, I, I'll, I even though we're going to talk about concerns, I do want to, like, pose my excitement over the concept of personalized learning, the idea of these tools like Digit and others that are going to come along to um, really allow for that differentiation-focused kind of learning and as a thought partner for our teachers. I also am excited about it, like... It, Potentially removing language as barriers, perhaps, um, and and multimodal learning. You know, I, if you are a learner that learn needs multiple ways, this has suddenly become you know exponentially easier with AI tools to have like like Gemini to look at multimodal learning. However, with its flip side, I, I'm going to give you an acronym that I learned from Dr. Punya Mishra from our he's associate dean of our Teachers College, um, he of Scholarship and Innovation at the Teachers College. He has an article and he says, AI is weird. So W E I R D is actually a psychological is is a term from psychology that means Western educated, industrialized, rich, and democratic. And he talks about how it captures the essence of many of generative AI's primary data sets. So that is a concern and something that many people are thinking about. Um, but we need more. we need more diverse voices and that's so that's one thing I worry, worry about. And then TJ coined this or drew attention. they're probably not the only one. TJ is a nonprofit that's a combination of um, code.org, Khan Academy, ISD and ETS and um, they talk about, in their like AI strategy deck which i recommend people go and check out it's a great starting point that we are now experiencing a new type of divide so we understood the digital divide i remember working in india with nonprofits trying to address the digital divide and while this might be a subset of it that that was the old divide i'm concerned about this new one that's being created the ai divide that will will occur as a result of the difference in information and access to these tools the fact that Chat GPT-4 is like $20 a month and things like that, what happens then? So those are those are some of my concerns. And then of course, there's always like if I pick a third bucket, it's always the ethics around um academic integrity, the idea that what matters actually in our learning? I think that's a really uncomfortable topic for a lot of us. Is I think one, one day I was talking to one of our principals, and she is um, her expertise is in literature. And she said to me, and as I was talking to her about how like my son, he's six and he, he's struggling with reading. He is both um, a genius when it comes to technology. He could probably reprogram stuff at age six, but doesn't read as well. And then she looked at me and I didn't expect that. She goes, well, do you really think it's going to matter? And I was like, well, I'm surprised you're saying that <laughs> literature and literacy is, is, is your space. But her, her question was around when well, we have aids and tools What, what does that mean for him as a learner? And so, um, that's an uncomfortable conversation. So there's ethics and then there's the inner, like what matters actually in learning and life.
0: (laughs) Right. Right. What does it, it's almost like the, the, the diminishing of the importance of handwriting or something like that, where you, things just disappear where where they were so important. And now, while some people would argue it's still very important, it certainly has disappeared from our curriculum. So Meg, what, uh, what would you add to that or or contradict or anything
2: you know my biggest fear comes to in the question of to use AI or not to use AI um, and my fear is those who are going to say nope we're not going to use it and the pushback um, and I say that because it, it you know it is the divide that rachna is talking about here and I think for school leaders and teachers to think this is a this is an entry point for many people, and are we going to open the door up, let let the kids through the door? Or are we going to keep the gate closed, right? And it is it is a it is a door in my mind, and I think it, it's great that we're having these conversations so that administrators and teachers and parents and family members can actually start to think about, all right, what are these what are these guidelines? Where's the stop? Where's the go? But the door the door is open. It sh- should be open. Um, but that's my fear is that the door is going to be closed for a lot of lot of students.
0: Okay, let's talk about new initiatives um, uh, at ASU Prep and for each of you. So, Rachna, start us off with you. You are um, interested in semiconductors, have experience in semiconductors. Very few high schools in America talk about semiconductors. So, talk to us about that. And then, Meg, for you, it's what's next um, on the roadmap for you all. So, Rachna
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I always at my desk and I know our viewers can't see this, but I'm holding up a semiconductor chip. I always had this, I've had this since I was at Intel and I actually have pieces of jewelry made out of this and earrings. And it always throws people off that I'm excited about semiconductors. I'm like, well, wear it as jewelry. It looks pretty cool. But, um, part of, I mean, that's to, to me is like a real fundamental to, all of the things we interact with is a semiconductor at the heart of it. So whether we're using these AI systems, the servers, the tools we design or digital world that we live in is working off of these little tiny devices. And, um, you are right that it's not, um, we teach engineering. We definitely teach all the skill sets and and things that lead to getting into the manufacturing space. But do people end up in that space? Are they choosing going into the manufacturing uh, line of things? One of the reasons it's of course drawn attention in Arizona for us is that you know we have TSMC, Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company, that's come for the first time. I remember working with them twenty years ago on the phone, and never would have imagined as one of the leading um, foundries that would make it over here. And so one of the largest um, semiconductor manufacturing companies on the planet and caters to the largest companies too, Intel as well. So that's like a over $40 billion investment. So who is going to work in these 20,000 jobs that are just Core and then all the adjacent hundreds of thousands of jobs that get created as a result of it that aren't directly related to being on site at TSMC or Intel. So that's where I came into this conversation to see what does that pathway look like? How do we create awareness and experiences. I look at at what I call the four pillars of our STEM strategy. One is creating the awareness and experience. That's the excitement, um, the, I can do it. I don't know math yet. I might not be a STEM person yet changing your attitudes and, um, the kind of literacy, different types of literacy, scientific literacy, STEM literacy, AI literacy that goes along with it. The second pillar of this strategy is looking at our pathways. So that's really important in the semiconductor. One of my focus areas is at the, at the very current moment. If you want to look at month of January, is looking at some of our content that um, is being used in our upskilling area. So we have an up, we have an entire platform for upskilling those that are in careers. So not coming to college, but upskilling. When you really start to look at what that content is, our high school students could do it today because it requires, that's what it is. It's for somebody who doesn't know that field. So introducing these kinds of content into our engineering curriculum and drawing the excitement and attention to these spaces. And that um, also crosses into, um, I'm going to say some of our emerging tech, because these things are expensive to try to learn stuff about semiconductors. We could have some labs. We might be able to make it to some clean rooms, but as a viewer, but ASU is doing some amazing things. I just found out last week, Meg, when we were at the Immersive Summit. I don't. <laughs> She and I were at this immersive summit and I found out that ASU's Meteor Studios created a um, virtual clean room, which I'm really excited about because like, how am I going to get to a clean room? I worked at Intel and I couldn't really go often, so this uh, ability to experience in VR, a uh, sort of an exciting way of learning this. Um, and then the third pillar is our partnerships and you gotta, fourth one is you gotta have funding. So, um, those are the things connected and to the semiconductor space and just, um, it's importance here in Arizona, especially.
0: Yeah. When you think about 20,000 jobs, um, and all support, a- and then this, the company has to come in and believe that, that they, those can be supported. Right. So those, that's super interesting and creating pathways distinct and specific for that, um, is ambitious and important. So, Meg, what about you? Uh, what's 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 uh, next in the roadmap in your world?
2: Sure. So I, I've talked a lot about this to Rachna and the team is when we think about what's next in the roadmap, we have to stay aligned with what our priorities are. And I want to stress this all the time about AI is that it will just be another tool if it isn't solving a problem that we have. Um, and so at ASU Prep, we have recognized the need that of our students that all need something a little bit different Um, and personalizing education for students is an endeavor we've been on for many many years that prep has been an academy Um, And now it's more feasible. You know, it was very manual in nature. We had spreadsheets and dashboards and all of these things. But really to understand the knowledge map that a student has is something that hasn't been very tangible. And so now what's next is really bringing that vision to life. Um, And we think of it like a honeycomb. And when students master a skill, it lights up um, a little piece of that honeycomb. Um, And it's it's really beautiful vision. That's what we're we're embarking on, because truly we want students to feel energized and motivated and engaged in schools. That's one of our that's one of our problems we see across the state is school. You know, are kids excited to come to school anymore? Um, And how can we shift that paradigm and how can we make school a place that's really engaging and think about knowledge in a way? Um, that we haven't thought about in the the past of being, you know, very linear in each grade, you continue on your trajectory. Um, So that vision is coming to life for us. I don't know how soon, but that's next on the list.
0: I love that. I I have this, this, my future vision is sort of, if you take your honeycomb example and uh, you, you move it forward, it's the AI tool, along with supportive teachers and coaches are helping facilitate interesting learning experiences to help fill in the honeycomb for every learner, right? And that, that that set of learning experiences is infinitely different from each, every individual has their own one. And, and ultimately, especially as the students have more agency and ownership, they can start suggesting their own types of experiences, or they jump onto a tool like Digit and they help work through that way, or whatever the case may be. But it'll be a myriad of learning experiences facilitated by incredible humans, supported by AI, that allows them to fill in this learner profile, uh, this honeycomb idea, so we're with you, we believe in it um, we're hoping it comes sooner rather than later, but we do have to be careful about the the the, the, the uh, six Ps along the way, as Rajna said so 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 let's we're, we're at closing time here, so really appreciated both of you and your your thoughts and I would love for closing um, closing statements here, uh starting with Rajna. Um, one, the most important takeaway, you've given us tons of things to think about today, but the most important takeaway, and then an org or a person you'd love to amplify that doesn't normally get amplified um, in the general education innovation space. So Rajna.
1: So if, if you haven't been playing with it or haven't been using it or aware, even we do use it, we are series and all that, but let's say specifically generative AI, I always, always encourage play 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 as a way of learning, as a way of overcoming fear, of gaining necessary fear and concerns that you may not have experienced. But until you get out there and play with some of these generative AI tools, um, you may not have a sense of what it can and cannot do. So that would be my one takeaway. And then um, an org that I would like to amplify. I was thinking about this as we were talking Um, one, because robotics is part of one of my initiatives at prep and just um, creating a consistent robotics program across all of our schooling system. I do really love Cici Puede, the Cici Puede foundation um, led by Freddie. He's he, I don't know if you guys have seen that there was a Netflix movie made on him spare parts. He, his team from Carl Hayden had won the robotics underwater competition and beat out all the like Ivy League schools. This was like 15 years ago. So he leads this organization called CC Puede, which really um, has created this beautiful space in Chandler um, where you can go in and not just do like just you, the Lego robotics, but really high-end robotics. Like some of the robots are more than my car. So they have a lot of sponsors that will will fund those pieces. And these kids then are directly integrated or called out from companies across, you know, the the nation saying, hey, come and work for us. So um, I feel like he could get more attention. They're very tiny and they could use some more um, partnerships.
2: All right. Sure. So the biggest takeaway I hope everyone has is uh, not to be afraid of using AI. I think teaching is one of the most challenging professions that we have in this world, and it gets harder every single day. And AI can, I truly believe, make your job more enjoyable. We didn't get into teaching to spend four hours making a project-based learning lesson because we know in our hearts that's what's best for our kids. It's tedious. We don't have to do that anymore. We can deliver these experiences to kids in a much more manageable way and I think it really can bring joy back to what you do in the classroom uh,
0: so appreciative of you both sharing your your thoughts and also just folks to look at I think is really important so um, let's let's uh, wrap up here thank you so much for your time um, we've gone we could probably go for hours and hours I'm, I'm quite sure because I have a lot more questions that I'd love to ask but here's a couple things that I've learned um, so one is I, I, really thinking about this the 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 honeycomb idea, and you started out, Meg, with this Google Maps idea for the the digit product that ASU Prep is working on. But there's something really important there that I think AI is going to allow us to do and help every learner reach their potential faster and more efficiently and and perhaps more equitably as well. Um, As long as what Rachna was saying, we're very thoughtful about this new AI divide, right? We we need to be really thinking about who is getting it, who's not. What costs money? What doesn't cost money? And how do we make it um, equitable for all folks so everybody can learn, design, use, and uh, get excited about? Um, I appreciated appreciated the the takeaway message, Rachana, that You said around play. I, I I do believe that play is a is a uniquely human thing that that helps us generate great ideas and helps us um, uh, solve challenges and work well together. Um, Thinking about the the two the the acronyms that we had here, the six P's, uh, making sure that people are thinking about those in the district, uh, the bias that exists, the weird um, acronym, uh, the, the Western educated, industrialized, rich and democratic, and making sure we understand that the LLMs, these models, are using that type of data and it's robust in that area. So just remember, data is uh, weird. And then Meg, uh, I really liked your quote in the end. Uh, AI will just be another tool unless it is used to solve a problem. And I think for me, that's my takeaway message is that if it's just another tech tool that is out there to um, uh, perhaps make money or whatever the case may be, we're, we're missing the boat. And as educators, we have a unique responsibility and position to make sure it's used for the common good, greater good, purposeful work. So... Thank you both. Appreciate everything that you do for young people and teachers uh, across the the world and across the ASU prep and ASU landscape. And I will hope to have you on another podcast soon. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Getting Smart podcast today. We want this podcast to be actionable, insightful, and a great way to learn about what's next in learning. In order to stay on the cutting edge, we need people in the field to tell us what they're hearing, what they're wanting, and what they're needing to learn more about got a topic or a guest in mind, send your recommendations to me, Mason, at gettingsmart.com. And if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to leave a review in Apple Podcasts or subscribe wherever you listen. Feel free to share the podcast on social media using the hashtag GSPodcasts. Thanks so much.